0: This is a case from the Shiro local. Zhao Zhu's dog. <coughs> Introduction. A gold floating on the water, push it down and it turns. A jewel in the sunlight, it has no definite shape. It cannot be attained by mindlessness, nor known by mindfulness. Immeasurably great people are turned about in a stream of words. Is there anyone who can escape? Case. The monk asked Zhao Zhu, does the dog have Buddha nature or not? Zhao said yes. The monk said, since it has, why is he then in this kit bag? Zhao said, because he knows, yet deliberately transgresses. Another monk asked Zhao Zhu, does the dog have Buddha nature or not? Zhao Zhu said no. The monk then asked, all sentient beings have buddha nature, why does a dog have none then? Jaiju said, because he still has impulsive consciousness. The verse. The dog's buddha nature exists. The dog's buddha nature does not exist. A straight hook basically seeks those who turn away from life. Chasing the air, pursuing fragrance, cloud and water travelers. In noisy confusion, they make excuses and explanations. Making an even presentation, he throws the shop wide open. Don't blame him for being careful in the beginning. Pointing at the floor, he takes away the jewel. The king of Qin did not know Liang Zhangru. From from the beginning, from the first time I started to look at Zen literature, koans, I felt this deep, deep passion, deep yearning, wanting to go deeply into it, to understand what is it about. To there's this. Curiosity was still still there. And that passion actually fueled my study with, with my teacher. And I was eager to go see him, to find the time, to present, to express what I have. Whether or not it was accepted, whether or not it would be what we call passe con. It didn't matter that much. If I didn't, then I'll try again. I will try again, come back, and give it another shot. But then I would read everything that, I, that was available about any Quran, any commentaries, and then take it with me, wherever I go. <coughs> Meaning take the, not the books, but take the, take the question with me, wherever I would go. It never felt as a burden. It never felt as if uh, it's a a job or or a challenge that I would rather do without. It was completely the other way around. It was incredible. It was incredible how much I I learned about myself through the study of Gohan's. And the reason I'm saying it is because I like to see that in you guys, all of us, that same passion. So what I would like to see you all get over is your frustration in working with coins. Don't get caught up by that. But, but understand that the frustration is natural. The koans are designed, well not designed, but the koans are by design, or by the nature of what they bring up or what they point at the cause will inevitably make you frustrated because they don't fit logic they don't go with what you want they don't go with what you think you are and when something doesn't go with the way we think we want it to go the way we are then our tendency is to reject it. This is not the whole point of practice. This is not what we do here. We come to go against the grain, we come in to go against the grain, we come in to push the envelope, to walk with the discomfort of not knowing, and then see if we can expand. So, Yeah. Look at it deeply and if you're not engaged yet in Khan study then ask me about it and I will tell you if it's the right time and if it is then put your heart and soul and everything you've got into it. Work on it but not as a job, not as a work not as a chore. <clears throat> Look at it as a way to a way to to help you break through. Opaya. Skillful means. That's what it is. So, So, um, at the beginning of the Genjo Koan, book study, uh, you remember, we discussed the issue of viewing the practice as a way to uh, transport ourselves from delusion to realization, which is what we obviously think about practice, so on practice when we first begin. And also how, how inevitably it creates more suffering if we practice with such a in such a way, with such an idea in mind. Right? And then the problem with such a view is that it creates a division between where I'm at and where I want to be, or between what I have and what I don't have. And so there is the assumption that I'm lacking something. And then that specific practice will provide, will give me what's lacking. And we'll, we'll, we'll fill that gap or the void or the missing piece of, of the puzzle in my life. Right? But obviously, the more, we, the more we practice this way, the more we, we actually fortify the idea of a separate sense of self and the idea of a gap, gaps are gaps, doesn't matter. What on the other end of, of of that imagined gap on the other side of that, right? So, yeah, there is this, and there is over there, and I am not there. And because I'm not there, I am I have uh, been accustomed, or I am explaining the difficulties in my life by saying, well, you know, I'm not there, so how could I experience something else. How could I experience expansion if I'm not there yet? I am under the category of being deluded. So with delusion, there is a job description and understood my job. <coughs> so when we look at it. any thought, any thought of being somewhere or having something, right? Whatever it is, whatever we think, we have or whatever, wherever we think we are any thought like that implies that there is someone that is moving from one location to another and someone that has the capacity to gain and lose a price position or even something we don't like but it implies that there is something fixed unchanging while everything else maybe change. Whether it's location or position, or anything else that we want to have and we don't have at this point. And you know, of course it's a common way of thinking, you know, that's what I said before about cons. It goes against cons goes against go against the common, right? The way the common way of thinking. So it's common because most people feel like that, think like that. In terms of gaps in terms of having and not having in terms of being and not being or being here and, or versus being there it's very common but the fact that it's common doesn't make it true it just makes it common so in other words the fact that we individually and collectively find it natural and comfortable to think in this way doesn't verify It's not that, well, I I am saying it, so it must be true. I'm doing it. It must be true. And that's often how we think, or that's how we view our thoughts, right? You know, we we observe our thoughts, and we encounter a thought, and the thought says something about us or about another person. Well, of course. I just had that thought, which means it's true because I'm thinking it, or because I'm doing it, or because I've been doing it most of my life. But does it? Does it really verify? Right? Or, or is it only showing us how deeply vested we are in this? How, how deeply we are trusting? And I mentioned it last week in our last study, last book study in the last session that it is so ingrained. It is on seldom, it is so deep in us to think and speak and act in such ways that are essentially being upside down or reflect being upside down. But it doesn't never, unless we practice, it doesn't feel upside down. Or we suffer the consequences. And then we go back well, thinking, maybe I've done it right, maybe I should even be more persistent in that way of being and that way of talking, acting. And that's what we need to examine. Is it true? In being upright, you remember this if you have taken Jukka, studied Jukka. In being upright, Anderson writes, we must thoroughly examine how we use words. Words are the way discriminating consciousness enslaves itself. Observing how words enslave consciousness liberates discriminating consciousness, right? And he says, in the realm of Dalma, ignoring the dependent core arising of itself is equivalent to the original sin it is the fundamental human disaster I don't think it's exaggerated. it is a human disaster that we actually not just think this way but we act based on that it is a disaster look around us, look at where we're at but what we do to each other. Look how easily we, we actually follow. Never mind if it's correct or incorrect. We follow. We follow what we hear because it comes from the same place we deeply trust. So if we are told certain things and we read certain things and we trust where this comes from, we are inevitably going to follow that because it speaks our language. That's what we see these days. That's why what is not true is starting to become more and more true to people. What is not real is starting to become more real. And the more we do it, the more we get used to it the more the, the lines, the, the lines that separate between what is actually going on and what's not, the more murky they become. And we're looking at it and we, we know our jaw drop. How can that be? But we have to look at how are we in relation to that and where does it come from? And then the most important word here in, in this line, or the most not line, is we must thoroughly examine this. Thing. We must, we must only examine rather than believe the common error of I think therefore I am. I think therefore I am. I just had that thought and that thought verifies why? And verifies the truth because the thought crossed my mind. And it lies at the root of how we are, the root of our being. Only it lies at the root of our being. Actually, we believe it and we serve it diligently. And we create industries that support and nurture that way of being, that way of thinking. I think our entire economical. The structure is based on a sense of being that holds on to or that trusts having and not having. Four other ways of uh, creating, quantifying a self, another. Somebody uh, recently sent me an article about this competitive meditation. I'm not kidding, I was a little shocked I'm not kidding, it said competitive meditation I want to read a few words from that it says the Taipei people are descending on the ancient practice of meditation and tweaking the quest for inner peace to suit their whole charging needs it's good right, this is uh, sutras of today telling it as it is tweaking it changing it to fit us rather than looking at it and asking how can I change? no, I don't want to change I want that to change to fit me so tweaking it and tweaking the quest for inner peace to suit their whole charging needs now, raking up streaks broadcasting their running tallies to the world the result for some, meditation has never been more stressful yeah. what we do right so in one online group members regularly check a scoreboard to see who has meditated the most days in a row Right? competitive meditation a habit tracking website charge, charges the credit cards of meditators if they miss their sessions too often is it shocking? I mean, you know, really, is it shocking is it to read that or does it, it makes perfect sense why not take meditation and tweak it and make it fit us why not, right uh, besides, if you do that, was not do meditation so, it charges the credit card if they, if they miss too many sessions too often, one company is pitching meditators on a wristband that reminds them to practice and if they don't Give them a mild electric shock. That's how we are. I think if we're shocked is a good thing, because we have to recognize that this is how we are. That's what we do with everything. A founder of one of these companies said, "There is something deep in the human psyche about wanting to compete and keep a streak going. It really helps motivate." Right? it helps motivate people never mind that we are strengthening the root cause of our suffering if we do that using what is what was born as, as, as medicine we actually make it worse so and then one consumer of these services said I have to admit I check every day to see if I'm still in number two or I've gone up to number one. That's why these people meditate. So they can fortify the false sense of self. I'm better in meditation than others. So instead of looking deeply and investigating what did those impulses come from and what they're nurturing what they nurture we simply take it all for granted and actually believe it to be who we are the master Mumma actually said in the verse from, uh, uh, a case in the Mumma fools take this to be the original self fools take this to be the original self Right? Those impulses that we create industries for and we, we nurture, right? fools take this to be who they are. And it's real. So we have to learn to, well, that's why we stop. We stop the madness, we stop moving, and we look at, why. Is, why am I doing this? Why am I saying that? Why do I act like that? What? Where does it come from? Not to do it over and over and over again, but to stop and look at it. Where does it come from? And the Buddha actually said uh, that you can practice like a lion or like a dog. There's nothing to do with this dog in this case. So we want these sermons. He spoke about two ways of practice. He said, you can practice like a dog or can practice like a lion. Now, What what does it mean to practice like a dog? If you have a dog, you probably go to the park, occasionally throw a stick to the dog and wait for the dog to go get the stick bring it back to you, put it down and you do it over and over again. What does the dog do? Go after the stick, brings it back. After the stick, brings it back. If you had a lion, you throw a stick to the lion, the lion will come after you, not after the stick. The lion is not interested in the stick. It goes to the source. Where it comes from, not what it does. Not what the habit does. Not how the habit manifests as much as, what is it? Why am I doing this? What am I running away from? What do I try to achieve? Where does the thought of lack come from? Or the sense of lack? Or the poverty mind? I don't have, I'm insufficient. Rather than try to feed it by going back to old patterns that we do must admit that the work So rather than do it over and over again, stop and look. Is it true? And again, the fact that I've been doing it for a long time doesn't verify, doesn't make it true. So how do we do that? How do we look? In terms of of, of practice, right, it means to examine all patterns of behavior and reactivity and examine how we fall back into the same groove how do we pander to the habit and then look at it look at what is it serving because not having comes with a sense of poverty it actually indulges in rejecting what is and therefore cannot appreciate anything because It is based on not enough, not having, being insufficient. And having also comes from a poverty mind that creates a prized possession that needs to be guarded and protected. Well, I have it, but I'm afraid to lose it. Because I am basing my sense of self on that. Because I have called this myself. Both come out of poverty mind, having andalami, and both are based on a, on the idea of grasping that it's possible to grasp. And in terms of practice, right? It all leads to the urgency of the examination that we have to. Do it, and we have to do it today. The longer we take, the worse it gets, and then we create competitive meditation. I want to point out what uh, I read last week: the fourth ancestor, da Jin It's from the book study. <coughs> He said, day and night, whether walking, standing still, sitting or lying down, if you continuously contemplate things in this way, you will know that your own body is like the moon in the water, a reflection in a mirror, heat waves in a hot day, or an echo in an empty valley. You cannot say that it has been, because even if you try to catch it, you cannot see its substance. You also cannot say that it has no being, because it is clearly in front of your eyes which means there is no picking and choosing there is no going somewhere else you go somewhere else you encounter the same reality of not being able to deny it yet not being able to go the other way you cannot say it is you cannot say it's not And Daojin is speaking clearly to the fact that there is nothing to deny and nothing to hold on to. And there's no need to worry about it. And this is the place where we meet Jaojin. This is the great right? the great Joshua. This is what he left for us to look at. This is what he pointed at with all his teachings, clear teachings, to the point. Gentle, not harsh as it used to be back in those days. He was different. He was more with what uh, they called lip and tongue Zen. So the introduction to the Quran Describes his level of attainment and says, A gold floating on the water, push it down and it turns. A jewel in the sunlight, it has no definite shape. It cannot be attained by mindfulness, nor known by mindlessness. Immeasurably great people are turned about in the stream of words. Is there anyone who can escape? A gold on the water, floating on the water. Now, what happens when you play with a gold or beach ball? What happens when you push it? What happens when you move it around? You push it down, it keeps popping back up. You move it forward, it moves with you. It moves, adjusts, changes with circumstances and conditions. Yet when you look at it, every point of it is equally the same. It's round. There is no beginning, there is no end. There's just flow, there's just movement. And in this this instance, the introduction is is pointing at Zhaozhi and attributing that quality to his way of being, to his way of teaching. He moves with. He adjusts, adapts. No resistance, no definite shape, no form, no fixed position. And also, realization that there's nothing upon which to rely. Because no fixed means there's nothing upon which to rely. In a way, what they're pointing at is, The aim of our practice, both Aikido and Zen, actually, the aim of our practice is to move from a fixed sense of being, a fixed position, to a constantly flowing and merging and adapting way of being, way of living. To continuously verify, clarify that holding on is just an illusion. holding on to what was, holding on to what will be, expecting, lamenting, denying, all falls under the same category because there is nothing upon which to rely. And it's actually very relevant to us. At times we ponder where are we at in this practice, it doesn't matter how long we practice. One day or 30 or 40 years or 50 years, really doesn't matter. The question, where am I at, can come back? And then how do we look at it? What do I do with practice or what does practice do with me? Right? And and all we have to do is just look at our lives. Look at where we are, look at where we get stuck with repetitive thoughts about self worth. About being insufficient. Maybe hold grudge all long time to somebody who has done or said things that <clears throat> were hurtful. be we occupied with regrets, paralyzed by fears. So just look at what is gripping you, what is grabbing you, what is defining you. And then, Look at it and enter from there. Because all it is, and it's not, again, it's not, we have to remember, it's not a way to, well, I can feel worse about myself because here I am practicing for a while and I'm still stuck with this or that. That comes from the same place. So, so to change that is to see that as a point of entry rather than a point of being further stuck or, or, or being verified by the fact that I'm stuck there is stuckness but there is no I am stuck there is that as an experience but there is nobody who is there that can be the one who is stuck which means there is the experience and then the experience itself can be an entry point gateless gate In the end of the Genji at the end, uh, I'm just going to read that again because we did it last week and I find it very powerful and sobering. Dogen said, therefore, was the last paragraph, the last teachings of the Genji Kwan, therefore, if there are fish that would swim or birds that would fly only after investigating the entire ocean or sky, they would find neither path nor place. We will make this very place our own our practice becomes the actualization of reality, again Japan. When we make this path our own, our activity naturally becomes actualized reality. This path, this place, is neither big nor small, neither self nor others. It has no, it has not existed before this moment, nor it, has it come into existence now. Therefore the reality of all being, of all things, is thus, In the same way, when a person engages in practice enlightenment in the Buddha way, as the person realizes one dharma, the person permeates that dharma. As the person encounters one practice, the person fully practices that practice. For this, there is a place and a path. The boundary of the known is not clear. This is because the known, which appears limited, is born and practiced simultaneously, with the complete penetration of the Buddha Dhamma. We should not think that what we have attained is conceived by ourselves and known by our discriminating mind. Although complete enlightenment is immediately actualized, its intimacy is such that it does not necessarily form as a view. In fact, viewing is not something fixed. So, a boat floating on the water A short way to say that a boat floating on the water, no fixed position. You cannot deny that there is that, but you cannot also deny that that is continuously not what we think it is, because it's not fixed. So every instance is an expression of the Dharma which is also an entry point out of a fixed position into unbound reality into that which is vast. But it feels fixed. It's true. So again, does the fact that it feels fixed verify being fixed? Or or is there an expectation that when I will be realized whatever I think that is then I will no longer feel stuck or there will be no longer the feeling of stuck there will be no longer all that to work with because that, that's the expectation and going back to the beginning of what I was, I was saying before this is the expectation of or the assumption of going from delusion to enlightenment and that, that is also very deeply ingrained in us, that expectation. You may say, well, yeah, I got it, I got it. I understand this shore is the other show. But although I may think I got it, I have to keep working on allowing this to penetrate deeply to the bone and then keep practicing it, keep working on embodying it. Because it never ends. cannot be attained by mindlessness nor by mindfulness. He says the, the great people are turned about in the stream of words. Words can trap us easily. Even if we are I think we are great. We are turned about. But also words can flip us from being upside down to being right side. That's, those Those are the kinds of words Josu, Josu is using is used turning words so Monk asked Josu, does he have with the nation or not? and Josu said yes and the footnote to that says, yet it has never been added yes yet it has never been added what we call Buddha nature is actually not in question. But as soon as we say Buddha nature, we create a conceptual gem that we want to possess, or that we may ask ourselves, do I have it or not? So as soon as we say good nature, actually, and we start to think about it, That thought gives birth to the question, do I have Buddha nature? Is there Buddha nature? So the question actually comes after, not, so, it's not, the question is not about Buddha nature actually, the question is about where does this mess come from? Where do my doubts about this come from? About who I am, about my self-worth, sense of self-worth. So it's good, because it's pointing at the same place that we come up, the same place that creates the mess, that gets us trapped. does the dog have good nature, right? He said that Zhao Zhu said yes, using poison to get rid of poison, using sickness to get rid of sickness. And the monk asked the question for being stuck in the mud of dualism, opposition. And Zhao Zhu actually went into the mud while being free-flowing. Being in the mud with the monk yet at the same time completely free. So it didn't stick to him. And therefore, he matched the question very fittingly. But interesting thing is, yes is not the same yes that the monk heard. The monk was asking from that place, and the question, the answer came and wasn't probably interpreted. We don't know actually because it doesn't say much about how, what the monk did after that or whether or not this moved something. But what we do know is that Zhao Zha- yes did not come from a place of yes and no. Or Zhao Zhu's yes was not in opposition to a no. But the monk's question came from duality of yes and no. That we can see. So then he asked further, since he has, why is he then in this kimba? And Zhao said, because he knows yet deliberately transgresses. And the footnote to that says, don't assume he's not talking about you. As in the case of all koans. But who else would they be talking about if not you? One of the challenges of working with koans is actually to see that, or to see how they are intimately related to our lives, to you, to everything that you're going through. So the koans point at different aspects of our being, of our lives. But they point at it, or they shed light on what we're unable to see. So then we work with the koan to open up to that. And little by little, if we do diligently work with koans, little by little, something does begin to move. If we are diligent. Have to end that because if we work on quants on weekends, not happen. We actually may become more frustrated. But day and night is day and night, as Daoxin said. Day and night, you must work on it this way. You must question. You must ponder. You must inquire and investigate. In. He says, deliberately, he knows yet deliberately transgresses. Now the bodhisattva is actually the one who resides in this kingdom. Bodhisattva studies the mechanism of suffering and the cessation of suffering you can change suffering to dissatisfactory or dissatisfaction and commits to being of service to others as a vehicle for liberation regardless of how difficult or impossible it is he knows yet deliberately transgresses who is he who is she now look at the four vows what do we back creations are numberless I'm about to free them all. All of them. Delusion the is inexhaustible. I'm about to transform all of them. Reality is boundless. I will perceive I vow to perceive And the Buddha way is unsurpassable. I vow to embody It's unsurpassable, yet I vow to embody so each one of those vows go beyond common sense transgress transcend logic and yet this is our job description as bodhisattva this is what we do this is what we vow to do to know that you may never be able to accomplish this task in your lifetime. To know that, yet to deliberately do the best you can to go against common sense. Your own common sense, society, other people saying this is stupid. Go against the brain for the benefit of all humanity. <clears throat> Another monk asked Yahu does it with the nature or not? <clears throat> Yahu said no. This is the node that we study as mu. And the footnote says yet it has never been removed. So when he said yes it said, yet it has never been added here, it has never been removed yes, but it's not acquired no, but it's inherent because it is not acquired and inherent you can say yes and no and both are true and this line, this the second monk who asked, this line is, is taken up and used, was used as a con by Mumon, <coughs> and we studied that, and it's the first con that we have to work with. moved as the first barrier to penetrate. Now, it's translated here as no, but it is not equivalent to, our, uh, to the connotation we have of conventional use of the word no. It's not a no that negates anything. It's a no that includes and embraces everything. Because no, everything coexists. Because no, nothing is ever missing. The monk then asks, all sentient beings have Buddha nature. Well, same with the first one, right? So that did not do anything at that point. So it kept going. Makes no sense, right? All sentient beings have Buddha nature. How come this dog doesn't? And Joshua said, because he still has impulsive consciousness. This also translated in a different um, book as karmic Consciousness. Karmic Consciousness. Was this about a dog who is expressing common consciousness by picking the leg and peeing as a tree or is this about a monk who is expressing it by asking the question or is it about the common consciousness or impulsive consciousness that is operating in us now today here and appears as old patterns that we have to observe and work with, tireless. What's most important? It's never been about the dog. It's never been about Xiao It's about how does it manifest in us, in me, now, today. remember remember the story about the priest who asked Pai Chang if an enlightened person is free of karma and Pai Chang said an enlightened person does not ignore karma or causation and and in in this case Zhu's freedom or the expression of freedom does not ignore causation because of that he's able to say yes he's able to say no he's able to change with circumstances and conditions he's not holding on to anything because he is unable he's he has realized that he's unable to hold on to anything that holding on is not possible therefore letting go is not possible too yes and no you remember from the genja kwan when all dhammas are the buddha dharma there is no delusion and realization, practice life and death. Buddhas... Sorry, I'll read it again. I'm reading the other way. When all Buddhas, Dhammas, are the Buddha Dharma, there is delusion and realization, practice life and death. Buddhas and living beings. That's yes. There is. When the 10,000 Dharmas are without a fixed self, there is no delusion and no realization, no Buddhas, no living beings. No birth and no death that's the, the commentary says if you say a dog's a nature surely exists afterwards he said no if it surely does not exist still previously he said yes and if you say yes and or no are just temporary responses spoken according to the situation in each there is some reason that is why he said that Someone with clear eyes has no nest. The point of this monk's question was to broaden his perspective and learning. He didn't base it on his own fundamental endowment. In other words, he did not ask the question from the source, he asked the question from not trusting the source. And when we don't trust the source, we trust something else. And that something else has many questions. Actually, that something else is never satisfied with any answer. So as soon as there is an answer, there comes a new question. Because it is marked by dissatisfactory. And it's just beautifully uh, put right, that the monk did not ask it for, he did not base it on his own fundamental endowment. Because he doubted. Or because he trusted something else. And the verse says the dog's Buddha nature exists, a dog's Buddha nature does not exist and the footnote says he picks them into one lump forges them into one mass because it is one and because one has many kinds yes works and no works and it's not jumping from yes and no. It's not choosing yes or no. It's just expressing. And it says, the next line says, a straight hook basically seeks those who turn away from life. And the footnote says, This monks should die today. Now this is talking about this monks here. Because these monks have died. Or have missed, we don't know, but maybe they have missed their chance to die before they died. So they were not able to die before dying. Curved who catches the masses, that's what that means. Because it gives us exactly what we want. That's why competitive medication works for some people, for many another thing to consume another thing to glorify the self another way to compete with others the curved hook designed for the way our mouth works or the way we trust it works so it catches it Jesus gives us exactly what we want and exactly what we don't need. And we want life to match our desires rather than change ourselves to match reality. And a straight who catches those who go against the grain, don't obey the, obey the habits, those who Are eager those who are have devoted their lives, or are devoting their lives to penetrating, to going deeply into? Why am I doing this? Those who practice like lions, not those who practice like dogs. Chasing the air, pursuing fragrance, cloud and water traveling. Is talking about what smells good, right? What smells good. Smells good because we like the smell of it because this is the smooth, This is what we have decided that we call good scent, for example, right? And it matches us, so we go along with it. Because it fits us. Because the nose likes it. Because the mind likes it. And then we consume it. So chasing the air, pursuing fragrance, cloud and water travels. There is maybe quaint zen and real zen. And real zen may not smell so good. But quaint zen smells a lot better. Because sometimes it stinks. But it doesn't mean it's not true. And sometimes it sucks. Again, it doesn't mean as much. It doesn't mean we have to turn away from it. Sometimes it's painful. Because that's life. That's all it is. Things as they are. In noisy confusion they make excuses and explanations Kuzma says they fight like dogs over a dry bone, yelping and howling. They again us. Right, what do we do? Swap words. Look for a better word. Better explanation. Better question. making an even presentation he throws the shop wide open now that's Joshua and the footnote says when the intelligence is lofty the words are powerful a different kind of intelligence though, he's using his intelligence is being used by the souls in a way he's not saying anything the words just come out and reflect clearly the souls. That's why it was the shop wide open. Don't blame him for being careful in the beginning. He first said yes. Now he said yes and and this yes is kind of like giving out the family jewels all at once to kids or to immature people who would not know what to do with it or spend it all. Or would not understand what to do with it, which means they will not appreciate it, not appreciate what it means to understand Buddha nature As, as an endowment, as something that we are born as, not something that we can acquire and lose or to understand the responsibility of practice. But he's being truthful. Right? So we cannot blame him for saying it as it is. All we have to do is look at how we interpret that. What do we do with what he's saying? Pointing out the floor, he takes away the jewel. And the footnote says, a daylight like thief steals skillfully. I mean, it's easy to get trapped by mixing words, right? Chopping it up and comparing, rather than see what the words are pointing at. So again and again, we have to understand what the task is. The task of practice. And we have to understand that it requires day and night efforts. But it's, a, it's, a, it's not an effort that we need to take breaks from. Because even when we take a break, even when we hang out, even when we chill out or whatever, still we can practice music still we can examine we can look at the way we act we can look at the way we interact we can look at what triggers us and work with it we can change all patterns or at least acknowledge or bear witness to how karma manifests in us bear witness to it presence it embrace it and then enter from there.